Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. We could see uh, your kingdom rule and reign and get us ready for your return. Get us ready for what's to come. God, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. And we're super grateful we get to do this together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, thank you for the four golf claps. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, can we turn the lights up a little bit? I'm kind of a tech camera online presence nightmare for people. I just like to see people. Uh, for one, I'm 49 and my eyes are not what they used to be. And so um, I bring greetings to you. Many of you don't know who I am and that's awesome uh, because no matter what happens, then you can clean up whatever mess I do make today. Um, you know, I've been married for 26 years to my awesome wife, Diane. And uh, yeah, thank you, she is amazing. She's super hot too, so. Um, and we've got seven awesome kids. Man, I've got three daughters that are 25, 23, 21, and then I've got four boys that are 18, 16, 14, 12. And so it's just a crazy household. It's just insanity, but it's, it's, it's really awesome insanity. And um, Diane and I, she was brought up Catholic, I, and I was brought up really with nothing. I thought Jesus was uh, very feminine. I'll be honest with you, I did not think Jesus was relevant to my life. Um, and so when we came together and got married, she inherited a tornado. And trying to embrace me is like embracing a tornado. And, and, and then by the grace of God in 1996, um, am I standing somewhere I shouldn't be standing? Um, in 1996, after my rookie season, so I got drafted in the second round by the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1995. I grew up in South Dakota in the middle of nowhere, went to a tiny little college. Like all my life I spent trying to break through the odds, stuff that always stood against me. And so year by year, but I wasn't serving God at all. In fact, I was radically going the other direction. And then I met Diane in college and uh, she fell deeply in love with me. And, and pursued me, really. Truth is, I was a bit of a, they might call me stalkerish uh, back in that day. Um, today, I would probably be arrested for showing up in a dorm room uh, and her not being there. But that's a whole other story of my history before Jesus. And, uh, and so we, we grew up together. Like, we totally grew up together. And then we get lost into this crazy world of NFL football. And I'm standing there as a young 23, 24-year-old kid uh, getting my first signing bonus check, which was the most money I'd ever seen, ever. It was 300 and some thousand dollars. And, and I'm in this new world that everything is given to you. Uh, you're, you're popular just because they haven't even seen you play yet. You're just popular because you got drafted. And, and it was the first year of our team down there. And there's all this excitement. And and then we get through my rookie season, and I have a really good rookie season. I was, I'm a middle linebacker, 
and I led us in tackles. I had 169 tackles as a rookie. If you know football, that's a lot of tackles. And, and I, was, I was angry, and uh, anger was an awesome asset as a middle <laughs> linebacker. And, and meanwhile, my marriage and my life has fallen apart. We've just been married only a short amount of time. We get pregnant with our first, and I already knew internally I was a horrible husband. I was just bad. I was full of anger and rage. I was abused when I was younger. I'm trying to like give you guys a little context of who I am before I just start. You know what I mean? Sometimes preachers come in, it's like, why should you trust me? I'm just being, I like to be really, really honest. Uh, I'm 49, so I've got nothing to prove at this point. <laughs> I, I honestly, I love you, but I, I really honestly don't care what you think about me. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I don't care what my kids think about me. Why would I care about what you think about me? And so I'm fully convinced of what I believe at this point in my life. I'm not 24, not 25. I'm not, I, I know where I stand with the Lord. I know where I stand with the issues in our current culture. I know where I stand. And there's some opinions I'm gonna have that I, hopefully I won't release them upon you. If they do slip out, just give me grace. You may not agree with what I say, uh, you're a big boy, big girl, I'm a big boy, and, and we should be able to hear difficult truths, uh, be able to hear them together. The, the coolest churches on the planet are the ones that don't fully agree on everything socially, don't even agree politically, but they come together as a family and demonstrate something in the earth that confounds the, the rulers and the authorities. Paul says in Ephesians 3, when you come together as a people of God that are diverse, have different backgrounds, have different mindsets and methodology, and you all come together for the common cause of Christ, and you're still learning to work through it, you don't have it all figured out, that says something to the strongholds over our cities. And God loves a people that's willing to like just be loyal to him at all costs. Because when you follow Jesus, it costs you something. I remember in 96, so after my rookie season, I'm losing airspeed, altitude, and options, man. I'm losing my marriage. I'm pregnant with our first. I'm terrified about being a father. Um, from some of my upbringing, it's not because my mom and dad were bad. It was just, they just knew what they knew. And, and so I've, I'm battling through life in this prominent position in a city that's a brand new team. And I, I, I never paid for a meal. I've got a jer name on the back of my jersey. And because I wear an emblem of a team, I'm super popular. And no one, you, but you don't even have to know somebody. And so I'm wrestling through all this. And we get to the off season my wife now is nine months pregnant with our first, and, and she's just massive. <laughs> if she were here, she would agree. Because when you're nine months pregnant, there's rates, you, you have a newborn, you understand there's growth and development you never asked for, right? And, and there's an expansion project going on in your life. I'm not being unkind. I've had seven kids, guys. Listen, I, my wife and I know we talk to each other through this stuff. She's not offended by that. Some of you would be like, how dare you? <laughs> when you have seven kids, get mad at me. <laughs> and if my wife's not offended at me, why should you be offended for her at me? <laughs> we are such a sensitive culture. <laughs> Picking up offense of people that doesn't even belong to us. Okay, sorry, I'm meddling again. I do that, I kind of meddle. And so fast forward, I'm out on the golf course. I had a Wilson glove deal and they would send me these new clubs and, and I'm out golfing and she's just riding along. She's, we're gonna have a nice peaceful day. 
and these new clubs are a little longer than my old clubs, and I just start shanking balls. I'm, 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 I'm horrible. And I'm not kidding you, this rage came on me. And I just lose it out in public. I start destroying, I, I literally destroy these new clubs. I start beating the golf cart. And my wife is just, you know, I have no sense of care and concern for her at all. I don't understand the, you know, the stress of pregnancy. I don't understand any of that. I don't even understand the stress of life. I just know I didn't know how to deal with it. And, and, and so she gets in the golf cart and leaves me on hole six. Literally almost runs over me. And I'm so prideful. I'm like, my body is my asset. You almost hurt. You know, I'm just so arrogant and so stupid. And I think about that. What a fool I was. And she leaves me and she goes home and she's just broken. Like I've broken her for all these years through college. I was suicidal. I was manipulative. I was controlling. I was a freak. And when I got drunk and hammered, I just fought. And I just, I had all these collisions going on inside of me and it all culminated on this day in May. And, and then she locks herself in the bathroom and I start pounding on the door. I'm cursing at her. I'm like, what the, what are you doing? And so she just says, I will not come out of this bathroom unless you agree to go to Bible study with me. I said, you are a manipulator. How dare you? <laughs> and she said it was at Mark Burnell's house. He was our quarterback. Mark was a super cool guy. He was a great quarterback. He was really cool. He, he, I, I heard he was a Christian. I didn't know what a Christian was. I just thought they had really bad taste in music. <laughs> no, for real. Some of the worst stuff on the planet is Christian music. And all they did was like rip off. Anyway, and I know a lot of great Christian musicians that agree with me. They just can make money in that genre. Anyway. So... So we, I get to get out of the doghouse. I agree to go to the Bible study. I thought Mark was really, I liked him a lot. And we go and we get in his living room. I wasn't reached in church. I got reached in a living room. I wasn't raised in church. And I'm really grateful. And we get there and there's this guy that they had flown in from Texas. And he starts preaching the Bible. I'd never been in an environment like this. And the crazy thing is, all the guys I ran and partied with, they all were there that night. We all showed up the same night. And there was a part of me, I was like, man, Bible study. I know what we do when we get together. Maybe this Bible study thing <laughs> is pretty cool. And we get there and this guy starts preaching. And I, I remember it was in Revelation 3. It was the whole scripture on hot and cold. You guys know it, because you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're what? Lukewarm, I will what? Spit you out of my mouth. I'm sitting there as a scared, fragile, 24-year-old, schizophrenic, bipolar, depressed individual that has everything. And I hear this message and I didn't, I didn't feel offended. I just thought to myself, if he's 
disgusted with, like, like if the lukewarm, like I didn't understand what I know now about the region of the area that this is being spoken to. I didn't know that there was a hot, ri- hot river and a hot, uh, cold river that came together through this one spot. And when it comes together, it produced lukewarm water. One, you know, hot can bring therapy, right? Cold can bring therapy. But when there's lukewarm, lukewarm water just doesn't have much effect on bringing healing. I didn't know all that then. All I knew is that this guy's saying that that God he's talking about and says he knows is like, like lukewarm people. Like, how do you reconcile that? When you're told, I didn't know anything about God. And this is my first message. I just thought to myself, man, I ain't got a shot. Like if the lukewarm are vomited, I can't imagine what that means for me. And it wasn't a weird fear. It was just like a contemplation as I'm sitting there. And then when he began to talk about Jesus, my heart just began to burn. I had such a horrible past. I'd done so many just crazy, demonically inspired things. I was led by the serpent. There's probably people right here in this room that are literally, your father might even be the enemy. That awkward moment when the phone (laughs) falls to the floor. Go ahead and pick it up, dude. (laughs) Just pick it up. It's not a big deal. Feel like I'm at my, my house. Put your phones away. When the family's together, just put them away. But pops, our scriptures on it. Whatever, you know, it's like. And, and he began to unpack Jesus. And I never heard anything like it. I just fell in love with this Jesus he was talking about. In the midst of all of my darkness. A.W. Tozer wrote an article called The Size of the Soul, and he said, if you were, if your soul before Jesus was crazy and radical, are there any of those people here? Like, you're kind of nuts. All or nothing. Probably most of you would be my guess. Like, there's this thing in you that, like, just doesn't want to be normal. I hope that's you. If you're, if you're that way before Jesus, you'll be that way after. It just now would be repurposed. So my craziness could be repurposed. My trauma could be recycled. And it actually give me authority over the enemy. That's really amazing when God can take what the enemy meant for harm and recycle it. And now you have who we're gonna talk about this morning, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to actually take what he designed for your destruction. Now, like the worst traumatic moments in my life now are one of the biggest catalysts in how I help others. It's taken a lot of time and energy and effort. I've had to unlearn a lot of stuff. I had to be delivered of a lot of demonic junk. I've had to reclaim my life for Jesus. I've had to let him take territory that I never let him have before. It's been all that process 
and it's messy and it's hard. And, and, and so we hear this message and, and all of a sudden I'm confronted with love. I'd never understood love because for me, love always had a hook. Right? If you do this for me, and in my world, it's all performance. If you're not good enough, there's five guys just as good as you ready to take your spot. And so your whole life is driven by performance. And then you live in a culture that values, it's just perform, perform, perform. And before you know it, you're being promoted because of your performance. And your dysfunctions in this world, this age, actually are assets. So if you have the dysfunction of greed and covetousness, you will go a long ways in our culture. If you're angry like I was, you can be a great player and get paid tons of money. So your dysfunction actually is seen as an asset in this age, and this is what we're gonna see this morning. There's a difference between this age and the age to come. And what my job and our job as, as leaders in the kingdom is to help you get ready for the age to come so you become more familiar with that age so when it shows up, you're not a stranger to it. And when Jesus actually shows up, you actually know him. Because what's the point of church if you don't know it? See, if we're not getting you ready to meet him and not ready for the age to come, there's some stuff that will come in the age to come that is gonna radically be different than this age. And if you're so friendly with this age and you're not ready for that age, you're not gonna choose Jesus in that age. Now, I don't know why I just said all that, but I, back to the story is, it started with Jesus and just the father. Like, I needed a dad. I didn't need a message. I needed a father. I love my earthly father, but I needed a father. I needed an advocate. And so when, 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 when you've got the father as your advocate, and that night I, I, I was introduced through Jesus to the goal of the gospel is not healing, not deliverance, is awesome. How many of you need healed? You'll take some healing. How many need some deliverance? Yeah, right? How many of you need breakthrough? All that is amazing. But the goal of the gospel is the father. All those things come through the Father. And so, so I had to meet the Father. I didn't know the Father. I couldn't comprehend that kind of love that was able to look at me as dysfunctional, messed up, look at me and go, man, you're perfect for my kingdom. It's what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. You go read Matthew 5. Look at Matthew 1 through 4. All he did was collect a group of followers that were the outsiders. They were diseased. They were adulterers. They were prostitutes. They were former tax collectors. They were the ones that like, you're on the outside now. These are his followers. And he has the audacity to stand up and go, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When you will take in my kingdom, you will infiltrate darkness. And he introduced Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, is the value system of the kingdom of heaven, the value system of the age to come. Make sense? And so at 24, I'm introduced to the father. And my wife and I both gave our, we surrendered that night, both of us together. 
The next morning, I wake up before my morning workout and I go get baptized. And I don't know what baptism means. I just know this guy said that through this thing I was about to do, the old me can actually not just be put to death, but buried. And I can walk out of that pool and start pursuing this. And, and I didn't know at the time what I was doing was a public loyalty oath to Yahweh. Because that's what baptism is. It's not just identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It is a public oath that all the other gods, not the false gods, I don't use the word false gods, all the inferior gods, my loyalty is now with Yahweh, the creator God, the El Elyon, the most high God. And I didn't understand it at the time, but something took root. And then three weeks later, we get on a plane and we're against doctors. So, so the next day, so I get baptized. I come home, my wife's not feeling well. She didn't come over and get baptized. She's not feeling well. She starts going into labor. So we have our first baby two days after we encountered Christ. My prayer the night I had my encounter with Jesus was, Lord, this better be so real that I do not go back. Because for me, if this thing doesn't stick, I know what this means for me. I was suicidal. I, was, I knew where this, if, so my prayer was, you better, this better be real. I remember getting home that night and I stayed up till three in the morning just reading through the gospels. Somebody handed me a Bible, said, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I stayed up till three in the morning and my heart just burned. I started crying. I was like, why did nobody ever tell me this? And Laura's like, plenty of people tried to tell you. You're just a drunken idiot. You know, I was still a victim. Even though I was saved, I'm why didn't anybody help me? It's like, what are you talking about? And I look back on my life, all the different people that God had sent. And while I was still his enemy, he loved me. That's just nuts. And he looks at his disciples and says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, you have to love your enemy. Like radical truth. Like in, our, in this age we're in, guys, if we don't embrace the value system of, of the kingdom, that is the answer to everything we're going through in our world right now. Radical pursuit of that value system. It will cause you to have to wrestle through your worldview, super challenging. There's gonna be one month you're on fire for Jesus and then another month you're being taken by the spirit of this age. Just, can I just be honest? I woke up, I'm a 49-year-old. My 25-year-old, this 49-year-old looks back at his 25-year-old who was on fire for Jesus and I would look at me and go, you are the biggest idiot on the planet. <laughs> Some of what you guys are struggling with now, remember there's a day coming when your 49-year-old self is gonna go, what were you thinking? Because it feels good to the emotions right now, but you gotta remember, this is your name. 
I don't have the luxury of living for Brian. I've got seven kids. My youngest is 12. There might be things that you're doing in your life right now that might be telling my 12-year-old, leading him away from Jesus instead of closer. But you don't even think about that when you're just 24, 25. Even when you're 30, you're still on this pursuit of destiny. When you get my age, you start thinking about legacy. What am I gonna leave behind? And so it's hard to think, but I encourage you as believers, followers of Jesus, and we're gonna read through 1 Corinthians chapter two together. I encourage you as followers of Jesus, and even if you're not following him yet, when you decide to follow him, you're gonna have to embrace his value system and his ways. And his ways many times don't look like the ways of this world. And it's gonna create a war in you. I'm just honest about the war. I don't personally think you have to have it all figured out. In fact, I actually, now when I preach, I come with a lot less answers and I try to stir up a lot more questions. So then these guys can handle that. <laughs> because I used to preach like, you, I got all, I got all your answers. Because I used to think preaching was me having to like convince you, just get it. Listen, if you're not ready, you're not ready. I can't make you more ready. All I can do is do my best to best represent the kingdom, best represent Jesus, and try to be a good dad. And hopefully I represent the father well today. Because I think the father is the picture of the advocate, but he also brings discipline. And the writer of Hebrews says, without discipline, you kind of are, you feel like an illegitimate child. You don't really know where you're fit and you're kind of being drug all around by the world. And you see, and so the father wants to come and bring healthy, redemptive discipline. Not a discipline that just like is, is, is corrective, but a discipline, the word is padea. Discipline means not just corrective, but its objective is to see you become this holistic follower of Jesus so that when you keep walking down this narrow path, and there's all these different streams that you grow and you mature. And you become a useful resource to the king of kings. Not a pawn for the enemy and his little scheme he's got going right now. And you've got an advocate with the father. The father is amazing. but he ain't changing. <laughs> like the father isn't gonna change his thoughts on humanity. He's, not, he's gonna work on humanity with or without us. I just love to be a part of his plan. And all of you wanna be a part of that plan. And so then we have our first baby. And then we jump on a plane three weeks later and we go to Austin, Texas, where this guy, this preacher is from. And we show up to this meeting and there's, there's high, Israel Houghton, do you guys know who? There's high octane worship. Everybody's got their hands up and they're getting their little Holy Ghost, you know, those, those weird Holy Ghost moves. And where's that one skid rock the baby and paint the sky? And, and they're doing all this stuff and we're sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. What'd we step into? This is a cult. And 
and we're in the way back of the room and we were contemplating leaving. We'd never experienced, but we'd never experienced the presence of the Father. We just didn't know it looked as weird as it did. <laughs> and so I, I'm just telling a story. I'm not even preaching. JP, are you okay? Okay. Are you guys okay? So we get there, and that night, we end up staying. And that night, there's a guy, his name's Jim LaFoon. He's a prophetic guy. Basically, what a prophetic guy is, it's like they stare right through your soul. They, they get what the Bible calls words of knowledge, and sometimes they get words of wisdom. Sometimes they get prophetic stuff about the future. And this guy stops his message, and he goes, you back there. Hey, come up here. And my wife and I go up, and this guy begins to like not just read our mail. He's speaking to stuff that nobody could have ever understood about me. And so sometimes God will bring people to just stir up that sense of like, oh, he knows me. He really knows me. And he's okay with knowing me. And I remember going back to my room and just listening to that word over and over and over and over. I'm, I'm, I'm like that. And then the next morning we wake up and it says, Baptism of Holy Spirit teaching 3 p.m. in room whatever. How many of you have had an encounter with like baptism of the Holy Spirit? Some of you are like, What's baptism of the Holy Spirit? Who doesn't know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? It's okay. You're amongst friends. Is there anyone else? Okay. So I didn't either. I thought it was baptism in water. And so I'm like, Diane, you didn't get baptized in water. Let's go. Let's get you baptized. <laughs> and so we show up and they start going through the book of Acts and they start bringing up all the scriptures on praying in tongues and God, the prof, people prophesying and all these different things. And, and I'm like, this is not what I heard about baptism in water. And so they're like, if you want this, if you want this, so remember, I don't have any church context. I don't have, I just know I'm in love with Jesus. I'm a little freaked out by the environment, but then a prophetic guy told me everything about my life. And, and so I was like a little intrigued. And then I show up to this and now, and now they're talking about the fire and the power of God. And, and, and I'm like, I like fire and, and I like power. The problem is when you're a church person, all you major on is tongues. For me, I didn't care if they were praying in tongues or not. It didn't matter. I just heard power and fire. <laughs> and so I was like, they go, you want this? Come up, we'll pray for you. I was like, Diane, you want this? I want this. And so we just go up on stage with this little group of people and they start praying for the power of God to come. And then I hear these people praying in what sounded like different languages. I'm like, ah, that's interesting. <laughs> and one little phrase hit me. And I hear this phrase that somebody was praying and I start saying it. I just kept saying it. And I felt, I felt the tinglies, you know, when you feel the tingle, I, I like felt something. And I'm praying this thing. And so when a charismatic hears like one syllable, that, oh, you got it. <laughs> They're like, now you got the gift of tongues. And I didn't know any of that. All I knew 
is that I felt something kind of tingly. <laughs> and, and I liked it. I dabbled in witchcraft when I was a kid. Somebody, well, you should have seen this sister's face. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> that, that's so awesome. Thank you for your honesty with your facial expressions. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> to the point where I'm playing Ouija boards in cemeteries and doing all kinds of stuff. And so I knew that feeling. I love the rush of feeling the spiritual. I loved it. And that's what led me into it. That's what's so attractive about witchcraft and divination and things like that because there's actual real beings, real entities behind it. They're real spirits. And it feels, it, it gives you some sense of supernatural. And we see so much on the movie screen now, the supernatural, we kind of desensitize to it. But I, when I, so when I felt what I felt with the Holy Spirit, I was like, I, I recognize the sensation. I've never told this to any other group on the planet. I've never shared this part of this story. I don't know why I am, but there's a reason. I needed something supernatural. I tried everything in the natural. We need a supernatural church. You want to have a supernatural God, not a common God that you can just do your own efforts and say he did it. Because most of what the church is producing right now is man-made efforts and saying Jesus did it. Right? When was the last time you saw somebody healed? Somebody always in the crowd, well, just last Tuesday, by the grace of God. Like, <laughs> you know, well, truthfully, I see them every other week. You know, it's... There's such a naturalistic, humanistic thing in our world right now. And so when you're bombarded with all the news cycles, then you get on your feeds... And then depending on where you stand, right, the feed with, through artificial intelligence, it just takes you further down that. And so if you're, this, if you're this direction or this direction, you're just being more and more utilized. Does that make sense? You're being taken and then we're, we're being polarized and then the guy in the middle is just getting his butt kicked. And... I personally have made the decision, just, just, just Brian Schwartz, I'm, I'm off social media now. I, I, you can cancel me and I wouldn't even know it. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just, I personally have just made the decision in this season of human history, I have to be so focused on his ways and who he is right now because I want to represent him well in a hard season. I want to be able to come into this environment and hopefully represent him well, hopefully be super loving, but also challenge. And we could start breaking through humanism and see the supernatural break in. You know, and, and we start serving a supernatural God that, that you can't wait to get in the building because he's moving. Because we know something's gonna happen. 
And it doesn't always have to be signs, wonders, and miracles. Sometimes it's just joy. Sometimes it's just coming in and you're like free and you just feel at home and, and, and you, you can just gather together as the people of God with all of your unique stuff and lay it all on the altar and go, show us your ways. Because we don't need more of our ways. The fact that you're sitting here tells you there's something in you that's like, man, I just want, there's gotta be something. That's why I went to that Bible study. There's gotta be something there. We're meeting tonight, right? Six o'clock. I felt like we were supposed to have this meeting and then do another meeting at six. And the other meeting at six, I just felt like we were supposed to just like, just worship and just let the spirit of God just come and minister and do what he wants to do. Maybe there's gonna be some prophetic moments and just let him, fig- let him figure that out. I just feel like he needs people to come and agree with him. You know, I would love to have you guys come back at six. I told JP, I wanna start popping on a plane and coming up. I feel like God wants to do something here. I don't say that lightly. I, I, I really believe prophetically God has positioned you all in this city for a specific commission, for something he wants to do in this city. And it may not be some great exploit, but it may be some great exploit. And he's just looking for hungry, hungry people that just, because prophetically the season we're in, when you look at all the moves of God historically, I've studied them the season that humanity's in right now, all over the globe, I talk to people all over the planet planet most weeks, the season we're in is called holy discontent. People are just like going, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more than this thing that we're bombarded with. There's gotta be something that's just more real than this real. And it's usually, if it's holy discontent, it's led by the spirit of God. I need to make this official. Can I read some scripture? <laughs> I mean, Paul, Paul would literally, even in his letters, he said, when I came to you in person, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. I didn't come trying to persuade. I just basically came being an ambassador. And honestly, I'm just coming today to be an ambassador. I'm here to tell you the Father's really, really awesome. And he loves you like so, so much. It's, it's, it's indisputable. Even if you're his enemy right now, he loves you. Even if you're on the other side of certain issues with him, he loves you. He doesn't need your, he knows that if you give him enough time and space, he will change you into who he sees you're supposed to be. And we try to do our best to facilitate that through O groups and discipleship and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's your choice how far you wanna go into this thing and how radically you wanna be changed. Because I will tell you, I was filled with demons. And my wife has cast more demons out of me. Like what you see before you today is is a miracle of God that I'm number one here. Number two, I'm married. Number three, I'm a father to seven kids. That's about as high as I can go. And so it's, it's, 
we're in a season of human history where God is trying to create hunger for his presence. What I feel like you guys are supposed to do is start contending at all costs for his presence and for his ways. Like Moses, when he stood with a conflicted people and he cried out to Yahweh, he said, Yahweh, show me your ways that I might know you. And if he starts showing us his ways, we're gonna get to know him. And when we start knowing him, through intimacy comes all these miracles. Miracles aren't done just for a shock and awe. They're actually done through union and intimacy and love. So that's what a dad does. He wants his kids to be well. This is an awkward walk backwards. <laughs> Can we put up 1 Corinthians chapter 2? I, I thought I was going to preach something. And I felt like you needed, I don't know. I just, I don't know y'all, but I kind of like you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I feel like you're sincere. I feel, I feel like you're actually looking for something. I don't think you're here because you have answers. I think you're like I am. You don't have all the answers, but you sure do want to know the Father's heart. You want to know his intentions. And you want to, you want to figure out where, let's just look at this. My brothers and sisters, when I first came to you. Now, Corinth is a lot like Chicago back in this time. It is a place of great diversity. There's probably 15 languages in the city, all different types of backgrounds. And Paul is basically laying, he's writing a letter of correction because in chapter one, he heard that there's divisions. And so he's like, whoa, 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 can Christ be divided? And they were talking, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this teacher, I'm of this teacher. And Paul just goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't die for you, Jesus did. Even when I baptized you, he's the one that resurrected you. I didn't do any of this, either did Apollos. Our goal is Jesus. Our goal is, is for you to be radically in love with Jesus. So he goes, I, uh, my brothers and sisters, when I first came to proclaim to you the secrets of God, I refused to come as an expert. Keep going. Trying to impress you with my eloquent speech and lofty wisdom. For while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic, Jesus, the crucified Messiah. I stood before you feeling inadequate. Some of you may, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, every time I get up and speak, there's a sense of inadequacy. I get up and speak to young people a lot. It is the hardest group ever to speak to because you're the old guy in the room. You know? When I look at you guys, there's, there's a simultaneous war going on. Be, say what the Spirit's saying and risk offense or you see what I'm saying? It's like, I, I feel inadequate. I, 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 I was not seminary trained. I don't, all I know is that Jesus showed up. All I know is that he came in the morning hours at times and delivered me his stuff. All I know is that I didn't know church dynamics and I'm grateful. All I know is that I've seen more demons in different areas of the world. I've seen very real things and demonstrations all over the planet where the enemy tries to flex his muscles. But I'm here to tell you, Yahweh is supreme. Our God is supreme. Jesus is a king. And, and 
And I have, he said, I came in reverence of God, trembling under the sense of the importance of my words. Keep going. The message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments, but to prove to you the almighty power of God's Holy Spirit. For God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but by trusting in his almighty power. I would rather you not be convinced and I'd rather you encounter the presence of God. Some of you have been feeling his presence during this time. You've been sensing something in you. Keep going. However, there's a wisdom that we continually speak of when we are among the spiritually mature. It's the wisdom that didn't originate in this world, nor did it come from the rulers of this age who are in the process of being dethroned. Instead, we continually speak of this wonderful wisdom that comes from God, hidden before now in a mystery. It is, in, it, it, it is his secret plan destined before the ages to bring us into glory. None of the rulers of this present world order understood it, for if they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of shining glory. See, they never understood. They did not know, even throughout all the scriptures, the Torah, the Old Testament, they didn't, it never was revealed that there would be a resurrection. If the rulers of this age had understood that this Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, they would have never crucified him. Because Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our faith is irrelevant. We may as well just break out the kegs, put the music on, and just party. If there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no father. And if there is no father, there is no hope. And the power that he's speaking of is the power of the resurrected Christ, the one who has been raised from the dead, ascended and seated in glory, now interceding for all of us in this earthly realm. And all he needs on earth is an agreement from a group of people, we want your ways. And when you start doing his will on earth, all of a sudden he starts bringing his kingdom into this realm. Make sense? Verse nine. This is why the scriptures say things never discovered or heard of before, things beyond our ability to imagine. These are the many things God has in store for all of his lovers. Other versions say, translations say, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, all that has entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This is from the Passion Translation. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. And I encourage us as the people of God to not make statements you do not know a person's motives or their heart. You do not. And as soon as you step into the, 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 the realm of speaking as if you know somebody's hearts, you have entered into a judgment. And when you judge somebody, even if you don't, especially people you don't know, when you judge them, now that standard of measurement is measured back to you. And those are some of the worst weeks in our lives when we've been the hardest and most critical of people, assuming their motives. Those are the times we feel the most distant from God because that is anti-Christ. 
You're not able to judge well. That's why Jesus himself on the cross, the wisdom of the age to come, looking at all of his enemies says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Only the spirit of a person knows the intentions of the heart of a, only the spirit, right? His thoughts, his secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. For we did not receive the spirit of this world, system, but the spirit of God. So that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the Spirit and not with the words taught by human wisdom. We join together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-revealed words. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit for they make no sense to him. There are certain spiritual realities to people that aren't born again, that don't have the spirit of God. They, will, they do not get it. And those of you that have been born again, you have the spirit of God in you, for you, on you for others, but he's in you for you. He's in you to help bring a renovative work. He's in you to transform your inner man. Romans 8 says, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And it's through the working of the Holy Spirit, who is the exact imprint of the Father's will and intent. He is the Spirit of God. And if you're born again, you've become a temple of that Spirit. And Paul says, collectively, as the people of God, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, buildings can be involved, but ultimately we're sitting here as Christ followers. We are the temple of God. There's another drop. We're the temple of God's spirit. And so if God's presence is in a place, it changes how you act, doesn't it? It's like my sons, when they're dating their girlfriends and they're in my house, they act different when I'm in the room. You act different when the father's in the room. What if when you're alone at your keyboard about to send a, 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 a post or send a text, what if you realize dad's in the room? What if you started living like he's actually with you, actually in you? And then the stuff that comes out of you, you it, it's, you're gonna start seeing there's some stuff you think God is leading you to stay, say, but he may not be actually leading you to say it. And those are forever now released into the atmosphere. And at 49, you look back at the text you sent at 25. I will guarantee a lot of those texts, you're gonna be appalled and go, I sure hope my kids never send that. Because it does not represent the heart of the Father. Some of you are waging war against the Father instead of being an ambassador for the Father. And the crazy thing about it, you do it all in the name of the Father. When Paul was hunting down Christians and killing them, he was doing it in the name of Yahweh. This is what's so hard. I would encourage you to get renewed in the spirit of your mind 
before you attempt to like speak to stuff and go after stuff, I'm not saying be silent. I'm saying if you're gonna speak, you are representing Yahweh. And your 49-year-old self, would he send that? Would he say that? And some of you may be here going, yeah, he would. You see, I, I'm just a realistic dude, but I have to tell you, some of the closest followers of Jesus in Luke chapter nine, you can check it out. There, Jesus is on this mission. He's going to Jerusalem and there's a Samaritan village that doesn't want to receive Jesus. James and John, two of the closest followers of Jesus say what? Lord, do you want us to call down fire upon the entire village? I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus, the follower of Jesus has the capacity to want to bring justice from heaven that actually destroys instead of rebuilds. And the spirit of this age right now is the sifting that God is using to demonstrate wheat and chaff. And the decisions you make in these different seasons, if you get taken by the spirit of this age, in the name of Jesus, that is a tough place to be. The cool thing about Jesus, he didn't wipe them out. He just looked at him and said, James, John, you're so cute. <laughs> I love the fact that you believe you can represent the Father and bring judgment on humanity. I love that you think you have that power. I love that. But you have no idea of what spirit that comes from. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you just have to start with this one sentence. Love your enemy. Even people that are diametrically opposite and opposed to you, you may see them as your enemy. There's your first problem because you've dehumanized them. I'm asking the body of Christ to be smarter, to be more brilliant. You have the spirit of God in you. You have the brilliance of the creator in you. And you'll never win an argument online, ever. <laughs> you certainly won't draw a following unless they believe just like you. But what is gonna win is love and a tangible demonstration of unity in the midst of a really tough season. We're almost done. He can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. Keep going. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. For who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? Christ has. And we possess, other translation says, the mind of Christ. We possess Christ's perceptions. Like when Jesus walks into Chicago, like when you're outside of Chicago, I'll be honest with you, living down in Florida, when you're outside of Chicago, all you think is everybody's getting murdered. 
I'm just letting you all know, like you all thought we were crazy how we handled the pandemic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the nation thought we were nuts. And all we get about you guys is that this place is going to hell. There's chaos in the streets constantly. Everybody's getting murdered. Our pets' heads are falling off. A little Dumb and Dumber reference for some of you. Everything's wrong. Everything's off. I came in here yesterday. I was like, sheesh. I kind of like it here. God has a plan here. I don't care what the, see, the media are false prophets. Please, I just beg you for one week, don't watch the news. Do your best to like, what if you just took one week off from your social media? Now, if it's part of your job, that's different. But I'm just saying for one week, what if you just took one week and you just drilled down and said, I just wanna hear what the Spirit's saying about, I want Christ's perception on my neighborhood. I want Christ's perception on my street. I want his perception of my neighbor. I want his perception. And what if as a church, we just came together and we're like, we want your perception on humanity. We want your perception on brokenness. We want your perception. When you see a broken person, what's your perception? When you see somebody that's hurt, what's your perception? When you see somebody that violently wants to disagree with you, what's your perception? What is your perception? When I bump into a coworker who's hurting and depressed, what's Christ, what's your perception? Have you assigned me to this moment? I got off that plane yesterday after a four hour delay in Atlanta. I was not seeking the Lord's perception on Atlanta. I will tell you that my friend. And I knew I was preaching this message, so I was popping back and forth between spirit-led intercession and grumbling and complaining. And I did, I found myself getting off the plane going, what are, you, what are your perceptions here? What's happening here? I'm telling you, the shaking that's occurring is designed strategically to shake everything that can be shaken so that what remains is the eternal stuff that we can build with.